Hello and welcome to Witch Wine. I'm Shelby. And I'm Desiree. And I'm drinking Coke Zero and pineapple vodka? I think they're vodka. They're those little 99 proof like shots. That's all right. I give it like a 6 out of 10. Yeah, we're just trying to get rid of them at this point. <laughs> I know. We have so many. We tried to pawn them off on my brother and we still have some left. Yeah. Um, I am drinking red wine. And today, we were like, you know, it's been a while since we've done anything spooky, true crimey, so that's what we're doing today. Um, I do want to put a disclaimer that the story that I am going to tell today has been told before. I am not the first person to talk about it. Um, I have listened to two other podcasts, Crime Junkie and Scared to Death, talk about this. I have not listened to them recently, so... If anything I'm saying sounds like super similar to what they were saying, like we might have just gotten our sources from the same place. Um, And I do suggest you go listen to both of them. Crime Junkie does just a full episode on them. I know there's podcasts dedicated to that story. And then Scared to Death did like a paranormal take. So just a disclaimer, I did not take any information directly from other podcasts. My disclaimer is I'm a shitty reader, so I'm really sorry, and everyone has to be nice. Comment nice things, because this is terrifying. Yeah, I'm going to have to just, like, slow down Shelby's part. Like. <laughs> I, like, panic and just read everything in one breath. So. And I tell her, I'm like, you're literally just reading in front of me. Like, just take You know what? That's breath. not how my brain works. <laughs> All right. Get us started, Shelby. All right. My is the unsolved case of Michelle Von Emster. I believe her last name is pronounced. Um, On April 15th, 1994, on a sunset cliff in San Diego, California, two surfers noticed what appeared to be seagulls on top of a floating pile of kelp. However, when they walked up, they discovered it was the the body of Michelle Von Emster. Michelle was found naked with only a brass bracelet on her left arm along with two rings. She had a butterfly tattoo on her shoulder and long brown hair, which is what helped identify her. The body was taken to the San Diego Lifeguard headquarters at 4 p.m. Her lack of clothing was attributed to Michelle. Michelle liked going on naked midnight swims, which the lifeguard had seen her doing for quite a while. And, (laughs) right? I just casually, I like going on, like, naked (laughs) In the ocean. Okay. All right. You do you. (laughs) No. The vibes must be great. (laughs) Um, Which the lifeguard could attest for her doing. Um, And a work acquaintance, Edward Decker, supported, saying that Michelle had told him that she liked to surf naked. However, local surfers and none of her friends ever recall her surfing naked or surfing in general. Um, Robert Engel, the medical examiner, reported that she had a large tearing type wounds with missing tissue, as the body was also missing its right leg from the thigh down. Engel also believed that Michelle had not been in the water for a very long time, but did not mark down any cause of death. A day later, on April 16th, an autopsy was performed by Brian Blackburn, a San Diego medical examiner. Blackburn discovered that Michelle's neck had been broken, quote, as if she'd been in a terrible car wreck, end quote, and had broken ribs, scrapes, and bruises. Sand was also found in her mouth, throat, lungs, and stomach. Black- 
uh, Blackburn concluded that Michelle had been alive when these injuries had inflicted and created a timeline. At 8 p.m. on April 14th, Michelle had last been seen wearing a green trench coat, and at midnight, she had likely entered the water. Blue sharks had also fed on her body, although a shark specialist said that there had been no evidence that these bites occurred before death. So they were feeding on her body after. Um, What's crazy to me is the sand found in, like, her mouth and her throat. Yeah, right? Because, like, I feel like that would happen while she was alive. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That will come up soon. (laughs) Spoiler alert! Um, A medical examiner who re-examined her body in 2008 agreed with this saying that the blue sharks had scavenged her body after death. Blackburn said that Michelle was attacked by a great white shark. However, he had never seen a death by a uh, shark attack. Um, Many shark experts believe that this wasn't a shark attack. Um, That when a great white shark which is the shark that they assumed uh, took off the leg because it's the only shark that would take off a leg. Um, It's a clean cut, and Michelle's injuries were the exact opposite. Um, Also, the sand found in her lungs was uh, entered her lungs when she was still alive. If she had died from a great white, she, um, she would have bled to death very quickly, too quickly for sand to enter her lungs. Um, Shark experts also say that her injuries don't add up to a great white shark. Um, That if a great white shark had taken her leg, there would have been a tooth left behind, which there wasn't. There was only two suspects um, on the case, Edward Decker and an unknown stalker. Uh, Decker was a suspect because he had his interactions with Michelle and behavior an odd behavior towards the case and a stalker because he had been cited by Michelle um, watching her. Um, So these are the theories. One is the shark attack, but some other theories are that Michelle died as a result of drowning. Her lack of of clothes explained um, explained as the midnight naked swim and the injuries being caused by caught in the current, would knock her, would knock her against the rocks, died, and, and then fed upon by blue sharks. However, the temperature of the water was too cold to swim. It was um, 59 degrees Fahrenheit, and the temperature at, the, at night being 57. Um, a counter, however, is that she could have been wearing her green, tre- her green trench coat during the swim because that was never found. Weird. Right. I would never swim in a trench coat. So I, I would never swim, swim naked or in a trench <laughs> yeah. coat. So either one is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, agreed. Um, another is that Michelle died as a result from the fall off the cliff. A San Francisco medical examiner declared that her neck, rib, and pelvic injuries could consist with those of a fall. Sunset Cliffs uh, the Sunset Cliffs is known as one of the most beautiful sightseeing cliffs in San Diego, but it's also known to be dangerous with reports of cl- uh, crumbling rocks and people have died in the spot before. And then another theory is that Michelle was murdered, uh, generally being that someone had hurt her very badly and then left her in the ocean to die. And then 
the sharks fed on her. The neighborhood that Michelle lived in had a reputation for drugs and was known as the war zone. Michelle's purse was found about two miles away from her body containing keys, a driver's license, makeup, pay stubs, and a fanny pack with $27 of cash. Edward Decker may have murdered Michelle. He was one of the suspects. Uh, Decker worked as a bartender next to the coffee shop that she once worked at. He claimed that he and Michelle had drinks upon April 13th after flirting for a couple weeks and had kissed in his apartment. According to his testimony, she left his apartment at 5 a.m. the next day and then I believe that's the day that she died as well. Decker felt that there had been a total connection and that it was mutual, at least he felt so. Um, Decker <laughs> even published a poem after finding her dead, which Ew. read... <laughs> uh, I, I already don't <laughs> like it. Yeah. It's already it's a zero star for oof. me. Um, which read, the report said there was a tattoo, a butterfly, a butterfly tattoo on her shoulder, which I remember that night on, <laughs> on my couch when I, like the shark, chewed on her lips <gasps> and took off her shirt. Ew! <laughs> Immediately straight to jail. Just for that poem alone, Mm-mm. straight to jail. He did it. He killed her. <laughs> However, Decker also teamed up with an investigator in 2018 to help reevaluate Michelle's case. Sure he did. <laughs> and then there was an unknown stalker who may have murdered Michelle who had noticed she had noticed him stalking her at her previous job at the coffee shop. Michelle had turned up to a different job at a stationery um, and office supply shop because she felt like he wouldn't stalk her there. Michelle also mentioned that she did not know who the man was, just that he drove a motorcycle. And then her former boss, Dennis Knox, called um, the day after Michelle's death and said that a man came in to make copies of her autopsy report. In 2014, um, her former boss told the San Diego reporter that the weird guy who wanted all those Uh, copies of her autopsy he also drove a motorcycle as far as my research goes i looked at like a couple different sites and most of them said that this case still remains unsolved and then a couple said that they ruled it um her death from a shark attack which i kind of don't believe to be honest with you yeah it's like odd because all the evidence points to like all of it it yeah. could be a shark. It could be her, like, falling off a cliff. It could be, like, one of the dudes. Probably the dude that fucking wrote the poem. Literally. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just weird to me because, like, the fact that her neck was broken points to either she fell off a cliff or somebody broke her neck. Yeah. You were saying that, like, the cut on her leg didn't match up with, like, a shark bite. Yeah, so the only shark that would be, like, powerful enough to, like, rip off her leg would be a great white shark. But great white sharks, like, when they, like, if they are to take off a limb, it's, like, a clean cut. Whereas, like, her leg was all kind of, like, jagged and, like, not clean at all. Yeah, so, like, that's what is, like, weird to me. But... I don't know. I would think just based off the history of human beings, it would more so be the stalker that did that 
because those tend to be like crimes of quote-unquote passion yeah and tend to be like way more violent and aggressive whereas her co-worker guy that worked next to her hung out like they went on a date they made out why would he kill her after that yeah unless he's leaving out things that like happened which could also be true like if she like if it wasn't actually mutual if they hung out a couple times and then she was like "Mm, i'm not feeling it he's like (laughs) but it is suspicious that he was like yeah she told me she likes to um go surfing naked at night and her friends were like she doesn't surf yeah like so that was weird to me too because it's like all right well you're clearly making up lies or she was trying to impress him and was like yeah i surf but, like, at night naked so nobody can see. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, the worst time to surf, that's when I surf. Yeah. So, that's weird. Yeah, and also, like... And it's a like, closed case? Yeah. Like, they're not... It's a closed case. It, wow. They just... It's either, like, they ruled it as a shark attack or they just... It's just, like, unsolved. They're not investigating it anymore. But, like, I... <laughs> fun fact is I super love sharks. So, like, if I can't sleep, I will watch when sharks attack. Like, and I've never seen, like, a great white, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure there's, like, occasions, but I've never seen them, like, actually drag someone under. Like, usually they, like, bite once or twice, and then they're, like, oh, shit. And, like, people, like, will, like, bleed out from the shark, like, bite, but, like, I've never seen them, like, fully drag them under, like, the water to the bottom when sand gets in their lungs. Yeah. Like, that's... that's that's weird to me. It sounds like there was, like, in my brain, I'm thinking a struggle happened on the beach. That's how she got sand in her mouth and her throat. The person attacking her realized she probably wasn't going to be, like, complacent and let it happen. Um, and they, like, broke her neck. And then, like, they were like, oh, fuck, I got to do something to make it seem like a shark attack. And, like, cut off her leg. <laughs> her whole leg coming <laughs> with me. Yeah, like, oof, yikes. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. And, like, did they they do, like, a full autopsy on her? Yeah. And they didn't check for, like, sexual assault or anything? There was, like, I couldn't find any. Well, Well, not that I, like, did the autopsy, but I didn't see, like, any, like, records. Like, no one mentioned anything about it. Right. I feel like they need to do, like... Also, I'm, like, like, I mean, I don't know the beaches on, like, San Diego or whatever, but I feel like it would take a long time to, like, chop someone's leg off. Like, no one... No one saw there wasn't even evidence of, like, someone... Like, in the parking lot? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's just crazy to me. Yeah, that is super weird. I totally can see how people are, like, it's either... It's, like, 50-50. It's either sharks or another human being did that. Yeah. That's crazy. All right, so the story I'm going to be telling you today is the one true crime case that is forever on my mind. Like I said, I've heard podcasts about it before... But I have not listened to those podcasts, like, episodes in months, years. So none of my information came from that. And I told you guys I was going to talk about this <laughs> previously. So the Yuba County Five. So all of this takes place in 1978. You're going to hear me refer to this group as a group of young men, as a group of boys, because they were labeled as both in their community. They were very much loved and adored in their community, but they all had special needs. So some people would refer to them as group of boys, just because that's kind of like their mentality was. So this group of young men consisted of Bill Sterling, who was 29 at the time, Jack Hewitt, 24, 
Ted Weiher or Weiher, 32, Jack Madruga, 30, and Gary Mathias, 25. Um, you'll also hear me later on refer to them as their last names because if you didn't listen, uh, there's two Jacks in the group. Each of these young men had either a disability or a psychological disorder. Gary Mathias was a former army member who was medically discharged after being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, he had a drug-induced paranoia attack, and he attacked one of the army officers after being arrested. So they medically discharged him. He moved back in with his parents in Yuba County, California, and became friends with the other four men. The other four had intellectual disabilities. Jack Hewitt could not read or write. Uh, Ted Weiher, Weiher, if I say his last name wrong, I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce it. But he quote-unquote lacked common sense. His family reportedly had to drag him out of their family home when it was burning down because he didn't want to be bothered. He needed to get his sleep. He had to work the next day. Okay. As the house is burning down around him. Jack Madruga actually served in the army as well, and he was capable of holding down a job um, before and after he was discharged, and he helped Bill Sterling also get a job as a dishwasher with him, um, like, after he was discharged, but Bill was fired due to not knowing how to, like, work the new system. I I don't, dishwashing, I don't know what exactly that entails in, like, a kitchen or anything, so... Maybe there was a new machine and he just, he couldn't figure it out. Hmm. These five men enjoyed all of the little things in life, and they especially loved basketball. They played for the Gateway Gators, and it was a team that was sponsored um, for people with mental handicaps. So everyone playing had some sort of disability. They played in tournaments, championships, all of those things. On February 25th, it was supposed to be their first game and they're like they had like a week of championship games that they were going to play in and the winners would get like a week-long trip in LA like all expenses paid and they were like super stoked they were like we want that trip most of the boys being so excited that they laid out their uniforms the night before so like putting their uniforms on their beds. They're, like, stoked. They're so fucking ready. Yeah, like, getting their shoes ready so they could just, like, wake up, put on their uniforms, and get out the door. And the night before, February 24th, they decided to go to Chico, California to watch um, a college basketball game. And I believe Chico, California, from Yuba County, was, like, it was either 30 or 50 miles away. So maybe, like, an hour drive. A little before 10 p.m., the game was over, and the boys stopped at a convenience store to pick up some snacks. The clerk at the time was able to give that specific information of when the boys were there um, to the police because the store closed at 10, and she was, like, super annoyed that this, like, group of boys was coming into the convenience store, and she's, like, trying to do her closing duties. And, like, We've all been there. (laughs) Uh, So after the convenience store, the men should have gone south to head back home. However, they ended up going east into Plumas National Forest. 
On the morning of February 25th, the parents realized none of their sons had made it back home. And immediately, a police search began, which, for, like, once in the history of ever, we can applaud the police, because, like... I know, I was really just thinking, (laughs) I was like, immediately? Right. Wow. Plumas National Forest... actually saw the car the boys had been driving by the forest on the 25th so the day they should have been home but he didn't call it in until the 28th because he didn't realize it was the car that had been posted as like missing and in his defense I think the forest compared to their hometown was like 80 miles away or something so it's not like it was like the same town so he called it into the police and they came and they searched the inside of the car they noticed the windows were rolled down and inside were programs for the basketball game there was a map of california and a lot of empty food wrappers now some odd parts the car was stuck in the snow however five grown healthy men should have been able to push it out easily like they got stuck where like their tires were spinning but if they would have just like probably turned the wheel and like pushed it they would have been able to get out and they didn't do that and keep in mind two of these men were in the army one was medically discharged due to having schizophrenia and the other was i don't know if he served his full like four years or whatever but like he was discharged and he was still able to hold a job And so it's like, they're not fully, like, incompetent by any means. The keys were missing, so police thought maybe something electrical, like, broke, and they couldn't get it started, something like that happened. But when they hot-wired the car, it started just fine, and it still had a quarter tank of gas. At this point, the men were at an elevation of 4,000 feet, and none of them wore heavy jackets because they were supposed to be inside at a basketball game. Police also checked the underneath of the car and found no scratches or dents, which was odd because the area that they were in, you would need to know, like, the road to avoid damage to the vehicle. And Madruga and Matthias were the only two capable of driving. And remember, Gary Matthias is the one who was schizophrenic and was medically discharged. And then Jack Madruga also served in the army and was discharged, could hold a job. Those were the only two that could drive. So during this time that they found the car, so it was like February 28th, um, they found the car, they were searching it. A severe snowstorm occurred and no one could explore that area without possibly causing injuries to themselves. So they had to just wait it out. Shit. The families put up a $1,200 reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of their kids. And of course, lots of people called in claiming they saw their sons in all sorts of places, including Canada, Arizona, you name it. People just calling in bullshit, quote unquote tips. But one caller said she saw them on March 3rd, so only a few days after they went missing, about 30 miles from where the car should have been found getting in and out of a red pickup truck. Don't know whose truck that is. And the owner of the store corroborated her story. So two people saw this. They were like, yeah, four of the people, I think it was only four men. So one person was missing. 
And they were like, yeah, two of them looked exactly like, I think it was like Sterling and maybe Madruga. Yeah, so they were seen like 30 miles away getting into an unknown person's vehicle. (laughs) And then the other tip was from Joseph Shans, who states he was on the mountain the night of February 24th. He had driven up there to check the conditions before planning a ski trip and ended up having a heart attack in his vehicle. Oh, shit. He states he saw a group of men and a woman and a baby get out of the boy's car and start walking, but when he yelled for help, they didn't answer. A little while after this, he said he walked down to a lodge that was eight miles away to call for help, and when he came back to his car... He saw the boy's car, and it was empty, so there was nobody in it. Fast forward to June 4th, a little over three months of the boys being missing. The snow finally melted, and a group of motorcyclists were driving up the mountain, and they were going past where the service ranger's trailer would have been, or was at that time. I don't know if it's still. And they noticed it had been broken into. So they stopped, and they were looking around, And they were overwhelmed by a smell of decay. And they called the police. The trailer was 19 miles from where the car was found. And, like, I don't know about you, but hiking 19 miles, not in snow-equipped clothing, up a hill in the middle of a snowstorm, a little odd to me. Yeah. On June 5th, the remains of Madruga and Sterling were found on opposite sides of the road only 36 feet from the car. Their causes of death were ruled as hypothermia. Two days later, Hewitt's remains were found. His spine was found by his own father. And his skull was found the following day by the sheriff, only like 300 feet from his spine. So it's very clear that animals started eating their bodies. And his spine was only two miles from the forest ranger's trailer. Why her body was found inside of the trailer. And he was wrapped in eight sheets, including his head. Like as if somebody had like rolled him into eight sheets. He had lost about a hundred pounds. And according to his beard growth, he lived about 13 weeks after he last shaved. So we don't know exactly when that was. Maybe he shaved the day they went to the basketball game or the day before, maybe a week before, don't know. His personal belongings were found on a table next to him, but there was also a watch next to his stuff that his family said was not his. Another odd part, this trailer was full of canned food, gas to start a fire, and wool blankets, as well as books to be used as kindling if needed. So they could have survived, but they didn't. The amount of food in the storage area could have kept all five men fed for an entire year. What the fuck? And it had only been, like, a little over three months. It's speculated that Hewitt and Matthias were also in the trailer with Wyher at one point, because some of their belongings were inside as well. I believe one of the two ended up leaving with one of the other person's shoes, Because they think that his feet got so swollen from, like, frostbite that he needed a bigger pair of shoes. And so they think that's why 
Some of the shoes were still left there. Matthias's body was never found, and on June 19th, they finally called off the search. His photo was given to an array of psychological institutes in the area, because uh, he would have been off his schizophrenia medications, and he would have been in dire need of those. And for theories, so why were the boys going in a direction none of them have traveled before? One theory is that Matthias had friends in Forbes Town, which is in between Chico City, where the basketball game was being played, and their hometown in Yuba County, and they might have just taken a wrong turn. Another theory is somebody threatened them and forced them that way, but who and why? Some people think it was Matthias threatening the boys and could have purposely put them in harm's way, but they were friends, and although he had a violent past, why now? Why wasn't the copious amounts of food eaten? Something the boys already thought they'd be in trouble for breaking and entering the trailer and didn't want to be thieves as well, leading them to their untimely death. And finally, where's Matthias? How come everybody else's bodies or remains were found but not his? Did he escape? And if he did, why didn't he return home? And to this day, so like I said, this happened in 1978, day in 2022. From everything I've read so far, there are no updates. Like, what about that bitch and the baby? Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> and why would they have, say they did leave the mountain, only four out of five of them, and go to that town that was 30 miles away... And go into the store. I think they said that they ate. And there were four of them getting in and out of the red pickup truck. And it's like, whose truck was that? And if you were able to leave the mountain, why'd you go back? Because your bodies were found there. Well, and, like, where would, where would the fifth one, like, Matthias or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like, if there was four getting in the truck, like, was he, like... Was he always missing from the group for the most part? Um, in that instance, they don't really say. They think that two of the people that they recognized were two of the men that were found dead. But they didn't say anything about Matthias. Like, they didn't identify the other two men. And it's like, if it was Matthias, if he did, say he didn't take his meds that day, and he went off on his friends, why wouldn't he, like, return home? Somebody should have seen him. Like, you couldn't... And, like, where did the red truck cr come from? Yeah. It's all very confusing. And so it's, like, I don't know if that tip just, like, should just be disregarded. Like, maybe they just saw a group of men and, like, they kind of looked similar. But it's just weird. And then for the other man, people think uh, the man who was on the mountain, who was having a heart attack, they think that he might have had something to do with their deaths because... I don't know. I feel like if I was up on a mountain and I saw a group of men and, like, a woman and a baby going into, like, there's nothing for 19 miles. So what's your plan? Like, you're just walking in the middle of the night. And like I said, this was after 10 p.m. that this occurred. Like, nothing about this makes sense. Like, I don't know, and even, like, like them not eating the food. Like, I feel like at some point you would have gotten to, like, they did the point have, of hunger where you're like, okay, like, I'm going to eat this regardless. They did have um, a few cans open 
and the food was eaten out of it. So, like, they did eat, but I think they were just trying to kind of, like, ration it in hopes that, like, maybe they would get less in trouble because they didn't eat as much. But Hewitt and Matthias being in the trailer with Wyher at one point, like, Matthias, for sure, knew how to open the cans because I guess there was only, like, an army-grade can opener inside the trailer because, I mean, it's... It's a forest service trailer. It's not meant for just like regular people. Like the food was canned or freeze dried. So kind of like military food to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why they speculate that at least Matthias was in the trailer too because he would know how to use an army standard like food opener. Yeah, it's just... It doesn't make sense to me. And then I'll make sure to post the pictures of, like, the map. But it's, like, from Yuba County to Chico is, like, a straight shot. You drive straight. You get there. You come back straight. And they went east. That's so fucking weird. And it's, like, so why? And if they were going to see Friends of Matthias, like, you had a map of California in your car. Like, wouldn't their friends say something, too? Like, after they, like, disappeared or whatever? Wouldn't, like... I think it was maybe, like, a spontaneous, like, oh, I have friends in this county or this town. Like, Oh, they were just gonna, like, show up and be like, yeah, hey. Super weird. And it's, like... Oh, that makes my brain hurt. Yeah. So nothing makes sense in this story. Like, there would have... They were so excited for their basketball game the next day. Why would they not show back up home unless something sinister happened? The parents were quoted saying, like, if my kid heard someone screaming to them for help, they would stop and help them. Like, they wouldn't just ignore them. And then a few of the boys, like, didn't like cold weather. Like, they wouldn't go places if it was cold. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So it's like these four... Poor men were just super excited to go do something that they loved, which was go watch basketball. And they lost their lives. And there's no explanation. That's wild. And then on top of that, the two that should have been in the trailer with Wire, why did they leave? Even if he died because of how much like weight that he lost because like I said he lost almost 100 pounds over like a three-month span like that's not normal your body typically can't handle that why'd you leave I get you not wanting to be inside of a trailer with a like decomposing body but at the same time you're safe in there and like the snowstorm was so bad that people on snowmobiles couldn't get through it Do you see now why this case, like, I can't get over it? So are they kind of just, like, safely, like, assuming that it's the fifth person? The fifth guy? It's kind of like your story where it's, like, 50-50. It's, like, they either think he's dead or he had something to do with the deaths of his friends. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, if you look up the Yuba County Five, most of it is, um, like, labeled as the disappearance of Gary Mathias. And it's like four people died and one is missing. 
And now they're just focusing on Gary being missing. So Was there like was there any kind of like sightings of him after like people thinking that they saw him? From what I saw, no. Oh my god. Yeah. This is stressful. I know. <laughs> Literally the first time so I listened to the story first um, from Crime Junkie, so I do suggest, like, people go listen to their episode of it because they probably touched on things that I didn't. But I cried after listening to that because these, like, five young men were just, like, happy to fucking be alive and, like, enjoy the simple things. Like, they just wanted to go to work and play basketball and, like, hang out with their friends. And then they died. And one of them is like the weirdest fucking way. Matthias did have a violent history. So because of his schizophrenia, anybody with a mental illness is going to tell you, it takes a while to figure out what medications work. That's just how fucking mental illness works because nobody's brain is wired the exact same. Um, But there were reports of him essentially molesting his cousin's wife after stating he's like I'm just gonna go to the bathroom and he like straddled his cousin's wife and was like groping her breasts and I think she was like sick or something so she was on medication he had outbursts periodically like he went to jail for the thing with his cousin's wife he was discharged from the army because he was like I didn't want to be in the army anymore basically so I assaulted an officer hoping that they would just like discharge me and it was like all of these things led up to his diagnosis and he was medicated and he was doing better but who's to say that maybe that one day it just something triggered him and I also don't want to blame him yeah like I can see where people like speculate that since he does have a violent history but I also feel like people with that kind of mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, like, I feel like that's also kind of used as, like, a scapegoat in, like, exactly. a lot of cases where, exactly. like, they're like, oh, well, they have this, so it's, that has to relate. Right. So, like, yeah, also don't want to make that assumption. Exactly, and that's exactly how I feel. And it's, like, it would be one thing if there were numerous sightings of him, like you asked earlier, but there hasn't been. At least from everything I read, there wasn't. Because I feel like, I don't... I mean... Somebody would have noticed him. Yeah, like, someone... I feel like someone. Yeah. Like, through, like, all the years or whatever. Even like if it meant he someone went to. to jail because he attacked somebody. Because he wasn't on his medication. Somebody would have noticed something. Something would have happened. Yeah, I mean, like, even if he, like... Was in a very, like, isolated area. Like, you still have to, like... Go grocery shopping. Right. And, like go to the store, like, get gas, like, all this kind of stuff. Like, you still have to be, like, somewhat in the public. Yeah. And, like, unfortunately, with schizophrenia, like, you can't control it on your own. Like, most people who have schizophrenia do have to take numerous medications because it... It's your brain just, like, wiring against itself. Mm -hmm. And it's, like... I can't think of the name of it, but we watched a movie in high school about schizophrenia, and this woman straight up was living an entirely separate life and not realizing it. She would, like, wake up as herself, and it would be, like, three months later. 
and she had no clue. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's not like schizophrenia is like depression or anxiety where it's a little bit easier to manage without medications, depending on the person. Um, but yeah, like. So he'd have, he'd have to get medication somewhere too if he was Or still... he would have had an outburst. Yeah. Causing public attention. So unless they just like didn't search far enough into the forest for him and potentially his body is there. But I mean, they called off the search after two weeks. So I would hope that they searched like far and wide. Yeah. But who fucking knows? That's wild. Yeah. That story keeps me up at night. Yeah. That (laughs) fucked me up. Yeah. It made me really sad because I'm like, these sweet, like, young men. They just want to play the basketball game. They just wanted to go to L.A. for a week and, like, hang out with their friends. Like, damn. Oh, my God. And, like, none of their motions the day before or, like, the day of them leaving would make anybody suspicious that something was happening. So it's just, like, what the fuck? Seriously. Yeah, that's the the Everyone case of the U- of <laughs> the Yuba County Five, and hopefully it keeps you all up at night too. Until somebody finds Matthias, we get some answers. Because I mean, I hope that for the family that they get some sort of whoever's still alive in that family. I mean, I don't know how old like their parents were, so who knows if they're oh, still man. alive. But. Oof. <laughs> well, we hope this was true crimey, spooky enough for you guys. Seriously. I mean, that did it for me. <laughs> that did it for me. My eyelash is falling off now because I'm so stressed over that case. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week with another... Another Inter- something. Another interesting <laughs> episode. Who knows what it's going to be? We don't even know what it's going to be. We don't even know. <laughs>